there. Welcome to Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this week, this week's been a little hectic and crazy. Yeah. For it, us. <laughs> yeah. We had a plan. Should, should we should we give a little backstory? Yes, let's give a little backstory. Okay, so what, a week ago? Yes. When um, Batman came out on HBO Max, Scott and I perused the film. We didn't love the film. We thought it was okay. okay. It was three fucking hours of just tedious Michigas, right? With some, like, cool stuff here and there. So after that, at some point, like a few days later or whatever, we were going to watch another movie for this week's episode. We were actually going to watch Goodwill Hunting. And for whatever reason, Scotty and I kept putting it off. And eventually I kind of realized, like, maybe we're putting it off because that's kind I mean, it's a good movie. Don't get me wrong. Goodwill Hunting's great. But it's kind of a heavier movie and it's over two hours long. So I'm like, maybe we should just, like, give ourselves a little reprieve this week. And then I thought about it some more. And I'm like, hey, Scott, this uh, this Nicolas Cage movie's coming out. I'm a big fan of the Cage. Are you a big fan of the Cage, Scott? I am a big fan of the Cage. We're big Cage heads here on Shoot the Flick. And I found maybe a lesser known Nicolas Cage movie, but a very fun Nicolas Cage movie that is full of all the things that you love about particularly 90s Cage, where it's like, it's a great action-y thriller movie. It's kind of cheesy, kind of sleazy, but there are very many much Nicolas Cage moments in there that just, ooh, it's got the zhuzh, as I told Scott before. Well, <laughs> the thing is, though, about this movie, Nick Cage isn't bad Nick Cage yet, like where he's like in bad movies. Oh, no. No, 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 no. He does good in the movie. This is after the Holy Trilogy of Nick Cage. Yeah, you you told me that was a thing, which I didn't know that's what it was referred to. But basically the 90s action trilogy of The Rock. The Rock face off and Face off and Conair, yeah. And then this movie was maybe a year after that and it's called Snake Eyes. He's on the run here. He really is. Oh, for sure. He won an Oscar two years before this movie came out. He this because this came out in '98, by the way. This is also the same year as City of Angels, which, if you've never seen that movie, it's like the most melodramatic schmaltzy romance movie between him and Meg Ryan, and it's kind of hilarious that he did this movie, and then that movie all in the same year. It's it's crazy. It just shows, though, that Nicolas Cage is willing to try anything. I have always been a big proponent of Cage, even when he started doing shitty movies. I'm like, no, he's still a good actor. <laughs> Don't give up on him yet. But then he comes out with things like Pig and now A Bearable Way to Massive Talent, which is getting rave reviews. Yeah. Uh, Willie's Wonderland is fucking crazy. Well, that's not... I mean, I wouldn't say that's a good movie, no, but... but... but it's crazy. He's willing to do anything and everything. Nicolas Cage really has become sort of an anomaly in Hollywood, I feel like, where he has given enough good performances throughout his career that even when he gives a bad performance, and he has given many in movies that are like shit-tastic, right? He just easily, at least with me, gets a pass. I feel like a lot of people give him a pass just because... He's Nicolas Cage, you know, and he just, whether he's good, bad, or somewhere in between, he always provides the entertainment. So, here's a question for you, since we're talking about Nicolas Cage. Uh-huh. What is your favorite underrated Cage movie? 
Because, of course, you have, like, face-off. Everybody knows. Conair, everybody knows. The Rock, everybody knows. Well, we have talked about Nicolas Cage on the show before with our reviews early in the first season, so our sound quality isn't the best. But we did a review of Raising Arizona, and that's a great fucking movie. It's, like, early Nick Cage, Coen Brothers movie, and it's, it's fucking great. Color Out of Space, crazy movie. Enjoyed the hell out of it with him. Matchstick Men, I think, is very underrated. Matchstick Men is great. I was going to say that, too. But even, like I said, even in, like, crappier movies that are, like, bizarro, he's still... Like, Vampire's Kiss is another one. I feel like everybody knows that one clip from Vampire's Kiss where he's just running through the streets screaming, I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! And, like, he's got a lot of crazy clips from that movie. But I actually sat down and watched the whole movie, and it's... It's not bad. It's incredibly disturbing, which works because every clip you've seen of that movie, like every cagey clip is disturbing. (laughs) And that's the movie. That's right, Alva. It's a horrible, horrible job. I couldn't think of a more horrible job if I wanted to. And you have to do it. You have to or I'll fire you. Do you understand? Gone in 60 Seconds is also great, but that's another story. We were talking about that last night when we watched this, and I I was trying to remember the last time I fucking watched that movie, and I couldn't fucking remember. I love that movie. I remember being a solid fucking movie. I just, I could not tell you when I last saw that. I don't even really remember the plot necessarily. I know it has cars. Cars. Cars go from room, right? And, like, Jolie's in it, and Nick Cage is in it. But if you ask me, like, the actual plot other than that, I don't know. It's it's basically the same as Fast furious to me cars go from room that's it that's all i got <laughs> again like i said in the beginning this movie is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination and it's really trashy in some ways but like also it's really fun and just like entertaining yeah there were times in this movie there are certain because it's it's a mystery yeah the mystery element doesn't quite fit perfectly together no and like if you think about it really hard you're like huh wait what but like that's the thing you have to kind of not think about it very hard and just kind of enjoy the ride you're going on you know but everybody in it i think gives a good performance yeah that's the thing because <laughs> particularly i mean we're gonna get into it but particularly in the beginning of this movie i want to say for like the first maybe 20 30 minutes nicholas cage gives like very over the top kind of nicholas cage moments you know and that'll kind of sustain you if you're looking for a good yuck but then once you get past that point you find yourself kind of getting into the actual story which is cool and uh the story again isn't like the most expertly handled or developed but like it's fine like you just you're on the fucking roller coaster by then and it's fine you know what movie i think kind of stole some of this movie to make itself do you remember the movie vantage point oh it's interesting you say that um kind yeah it, it makes sense because there are literally points in the movie where they flash back and they tell it through the eyes of different characters so i get what you're saying from that perspective it's actually funny okay so let's start getting into some fun facts so i want to circle back to what you just said there so this was directed by brian de palma also he was one of the producers we've talked about him before because he directed carrie which we talked about last halloween he also directed scarface mission impossible and it was written by david kep who also wrote mission impossible he wrote jurassic park the raimi spider-man movie he also has some bad ones he he wrote 
the Tom Cruise Mummy movie. Oof. And uh, one of our favorites, Scott, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. He had such a good run and then... And then kind of went left, yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to circle back to what you were saying because, I mean, I haven't seen the first Mission Impossible movie, but I know enough about the plot to know that, like, it makes sense that the people that were behind Mission Impossible were behind this as well. Yeah, the first Mission... Mission Impossible, such a weird series. That's another thing. Eventually, sometime maybe we'll get into. But, yeah. But I, I've watched I think four of them, and I couldn't tell you which one is which. I've only seen Ghost Protocol, and if you ask me what happened in it, I couldn't tell you. I just remember it was called Ghost Protocol. <laughs> but um, Brian De Palma stated also that the Kurosawa film Rashomon influenced this film a lot again never seen that so i have to ask you because it's on your list for me to watch so is that accurate yes uh rashomon is actually well it's kurosawa so it is classic it's basically a story about a trial of i think it's a murder where it's told by like the wife of the person who was killed then the killer and then the guy who got killed tells the story hmm okay i see what you're saying this movie definitely isn't rated very well. It's got a 40% critics rating on Rotten Tomatoes. This movie definitely had some issues as far as like post-production-y things, which we'll get to. I don't think it's a 40. I don't think it's a 40. I don't think it's like an 80 or anything. No, but I don't think it's an 80 either. I think depending on how you take the ending is what will directly influence how you feel about this movie. Yeah, I'd say that's because that's, that's probably fair. Because that's the walkaway message. And the walkaway message is either, oh, I want a happy ending. I want, you know, blah, blah, blah. I want this to be good. But then this is not that movie. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the Palmo's thing. He doesn't want it to be a happy ending. Right. I Yeah. No, it's true. It's not a typical ending for this type of movie. But we'll get to that when we get to that. I also wanted to note that like every time I was looking up Snake Eyes, the movie, to d- take notes for this, all that came up was the fucking G.I. Joe movie from last year with the fucking, what's his head? Golding. Henry Golding, yeah. yeah. I was like, damn, no, not that one. 1998. <laughs> but yeah, I'm like... I'm actually really happy we made this last minute switch because I feel like it was a nice kind of like turn your brain off, just like sit back and enjoy the show kind of situation. Yeah, definitely. So I'm I'm ready to talk about it. Are Let, you ready to get into the nitty gritty now? Let's go. Cool. So first of all, it's called Snake Eyes because it takes place in Atlantic City in a casino slash arena where there's a fucking like big fight going on, big boxing match, right? On a, on a dark and stormy night. We have to preface that in the beginning because apparently it's very important for later that it's very dark and stormy outside. Yeah, it's a tropical storm, not a hurricane, a tropical no, storm. So we pretty much immediately meet our main character, played by Nick Cage. He plays Rick Santoro, who is a corrupt cop. Like, he's basically fucking Swiper from fucking Dora the Explorer as a human. But, you know, he just cheats on his wife. And... (laughs) (laughs) and like he's never shown doing cocaine but you just know he does all of the cocaine well he like takes money off like bad guys of course he's betting on the fight and shit like that as much as he's our he's our hero he's got a lot of rough edges 
what I love too about this is like immediately like the f- like one of the first shots in the movie where we first meet Nick Cage, he immediately hits us like right out the gate with a Nick Cage moment, right? <laughs> he's like talking to this news reporter. So he's interviewing Rick Santoro as like a spectator for the fight. And he just goes, ah, Ricky, into the camera and then runs away. Well, I think I think the whole point is like, even though he's this bad cop, he is the guy everybody knows. He takes bets for the bookies. Like he's he's lived in this town his whole life. At one point, he calls himself the sewer king because Atlantic City is a sewer and I'm the king, baby. This is what we're dealing with. <laughs> We have we are establishing our main character, people. Isn't this also where he's on the phone and he goes, yummy. yummy. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you trying to be Jim Carrey now? Like, what's happening? I don't know. We are at this big arena to watch this boxing match. And we have our big boxer star guy, Lincoln Tyler, played by Stan Shaw. He also played a boxer in Rocky, which we did a review on not too long ago. And he was the guy at Mickey's gym that stole Rocky's locker. Ah. Rick, who's, again, Nicolas Cage, he apparently went to the same high school as Lincoln Tyler. So he's, like, outside his hotel room, like, yeah, Tyler. It's, like, it's really obnoxious. And then there's one point. It's, like, one of my favorite Nick Cage moments in the movie, if not my absolute favorite. The fighter, Lincoln Tyler, is coming down the escalator, and Rick is at the bottom of the stairs, just like singing and screaming at him. Do it me, Tyler! Yeah! Go, Tyler! Go, Tyler! Go, Tyler! Go! Go, Tyler! Go, Tyler! Go, Tyler! Whoa! Lincoln Tyler! Lincoln Tyler! Lincoln. But yeah, a door opens and he chases down Luis Guzman. Oh, yeah, Luis Guzman is in this movie. <laughs> There's a lot of seasoned character actors in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you'll see them and you'll go, I know that guy. I know that guy. I know that guy. <laughs> so we've immediately found out who the fuck Rick is, right? Because he's constantly hitting on women. At one point, he calls his girlfriend. And then, like, 10 minutes later, he calls his wife and his son. And it's like, okay. we And he's, like, yelling just constantly and beating up Luis Guzman. We're like, okay, we get it. This guy is crooked in every single way got it he meets up with his childhood bff kevin dunn he is a u.s navy commander who is working with the department of defense i know this is like a whole you're like wait i thought we were watching a boxing match just hold on (laughs) so kevin dunn works for the department of defense and he's escorting the defense secretary you know for the united states it's <laughs> two of the fucking fight along with this other guy who actually owns the arena who's sitting with the defense secretary watching the fight because apparently this guy he not only is friends with the defense secretary and is a defense contractor but he also just owns the fucking arena in atlantic city for some reason he apparently his character is based on donald trump but i'm gonna get there so kevin dunn who is nick cage's best friend is played by gary sinise who is the button-up, no-nonsense character as we meet him. Right. He's very, like, by the book. He's established immediately as, like, the good influence on Nick Cage's character to try to, like, get him to stop being a dick and, like, oh, come get a job in the government. And that's where we get the whole Sewer King thing. Like, I love this city. (laughs) It's trash, but it's my trash. (laughs) You see everything the light touches? 
<laughs> it's mine, motherfucker. <laughs> exactly. But um, fun fact about this particular role that Gary Sinise got. First of all, th- uh, if you don't know who Gary Sinise is by the name, he was in Of Mice and Men. He was in Forrest Gump. He played Lieutenant Dan. This was a year before he had the pretty minor role that he had in um, Green Mile, which we also did a review on last year. But the role originally was offered to none other than Slapmaster Supreme Will Smith. But uh, he wanted $12 million to do the role, and they basically laughed him out of the room. And <laughs> Will Smith went to do Enemy of the State instead, which is a very similar type of movie with, you know, government intrigue and whatnot. But also, Al Pacino was offered the role, and he turned it down. <laughs> no. Which would have been even weirder, I think, than Will Smith being in this role. Because Nick Cage is being Nick Cagey, and then on top of that, you have Al Pacino being all Al Pacino-y. It's but, like too much yelling. <laughs> but too the, much yelling going on. Well, the reason they offered Pacino the role is the Palma. Well, yes, of course. You know, they had a connection already, so you thought maybe Pacino would have that magic again. And then um, on top of that, we have the owner of the arena and the defense secretary's buddy, Gilbert Powell, who, since we were talking about character actors... He's played by John Hurd, who is the dad from Home Alone. And that character was based on Donald Trump, which is kind of hilarious now looking back at it. Makes a lot of sense. But, like, going in blind with this movie, which I suggest you do. Yes, I also do as well. We're following this guy, and then everything goes fucking nuts. Exactly. That's what I like about it, is because it does give you kind of twists and turns that you weren't expecting. And that kind of makes up for the certain little things in the movie that don't a hundred percent makes sense but like it's it's fine it's like literally one of those action movies that like you can just turn your brain off a little bit and just enjoy it so it's fine so we have the navy commander kevin dunn who is guarding over the defense secretary and this guy powell and they are just sitting there up in the front watching the fight nick cage comes over and he's hanging out with his boy kevin but then the fight starts right and immediately Kevin, who is clearly taking his job very seriously, gets distracted by a pretty lady with red hair in a sparkly dress with big titties. And he... <laughs> she goes running, so Kevin chases after her. Right. And then we get introduced to another pretty lady that comes in. This one's in a platinum blonde wig. It's clearly a wig. She's Julia, we find out later. And she's played by Carla Giugino who we actually briefly mentioned in a past episode when we talked about Watchmen. She played Silk Spectre in that movie. But she, of course, I feel like most notably played the mom from Spy Kids <laughs> three years after this movie came out, which is kind of funny because in this movie, she is like super duper sexualized with very, very red lips and very, very platinum blonde hair and titties everywhere. At one point, the character randomly calls her a hooker. Yeah. Well, she's, she, it's, we're going to get there. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it's not clear exactly what's happening at this point, like when all these little things start happening and the fight starts, but like you get the sense that you have to remember certain things that are happening for some reason because they focus on little things and then cut away to other things because they're leaving something open-ended for later, if that makes sense. Yeah. Some random guy screams out, bring the pain. Just like over and over again. And Julia actually sits down next to Nick Cage and leans over and starts talking to the defense secretary. But then you don't know exactly 
what she's saying. She hands him something and you don't really know what's going on. Then all of a sudden, Nick Cage is so focused on the fight. He's screaming at Lincoln Tyler and he gets knocked the fuck out. And when Lincoln Tyler falls to the floor, immediately gunshots ring out throughout the arena and the defense secretary is killed and Julia is grazed on the shoulder. Nick Cage tackles her to the ground to save her from the gunfire. And when Nick does that, her wig falls off and it reveals her short, dark hair, which, I mean, it was clearly not a very sturdy wig. She probably bought that shit at Party City or something because it was very hastily put on. Well, not only that. (laughs) And she escapes. Not only that, the knocked out Lincoln Tyler sits up after the gunshots and stares right at Nick Cage and then pretends to be knocked out again. Yeah, and then Nick, Nick Cage clearly notices, like, what the fuck? But um, all the craziness happens. Everybody kind of scatters and runs away. And Kevin Dunn actually reappears magically, and he takes out the shooter. Oh, and then, um, of course, because this makes logical and not gross sense at all, a fucking paparazzi guy just, like, comes up and starts snapping pictures of this guy's, like, basically dead body. I don't think the defense secretary is technically dead yet, but he's pretty much, his goose is cooked, right? He's on his way out. Yeah, he's on his way out the door. Elvis is leaving the building, and the guy just comes up and starts snapping pictures of his bullet-ridden body, (laughs) and Nick Cage just clocks him in the fucking face because, of course. (laughs) Uh, There was a line here where (laughs) the guy who's, like, running the pay-per-view stuff for HBO is like, hey, man, let me be the only news guy you have. He goes, I won't shoot the spaghetti, man. It's fine. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, this movie is very crass in a lot of ways. And in the, like, in the beginning, it comes off very much like it's, it's not exactly like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, but it comes off very coke-addled and, like, frenetic. Just, like, it's gonna be that kind of thing, right? And then these government guys come in and you're like, what the fuck, what's going on here? So... Nick Cage goes and finds Gary Sinise, who has now shot this sniper. And Gary Sinise tells what happened, how he was following the redhead who then started flirting with him. He heard the gunshots ring out and then shot the sniper. And Nick Cage goes, okay, you were doing your job. You were investigating something and then you shot the sniper. You're a hero. He just basically corroborates everything Gary Sinise says. He's like, this is what we tell them. Nothing else. Right. He says at one point that loyalty is his only vice. It's weird because, like, the way they developed Nick Cage's character is very interesting because he clearly very loudly establishes himself as an asshole character. And he doesn't really not... Like, he never really is not an asshole character, but he's an asshole with, like, a line that he won't cross and we find out later. But, like, he's always an asshole. But... I find that to be more interesting, I feel like. Well, it's it's tough because, yeah, he's a dirtbag with a conscience or a, a line or whatever you want to call yeah. it. Yeah. But he literally in the speech to Gary Sinise, he's like, listen, I've been getting away with shit my whole career and this is no different. We just tell them everything you did right and leave out all the other stuff. Because <laughs> Sinise is like, I abandoned my post. Like, I'm going to fucking go to prison. And he's like, you're not fucking going to prison. <laughs> I'm not going to let that happen. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> he's used to he's used to gaming the system for his own purposes, essentially, is what he's saying. And this is not going to be any different. Even though it's the fucking, like, U.S. government. Doesn't matter. 
It's all the same shit. <laughs> so he's like, we just got to lock down the building. And they say, we're going to be here all night because we have to get 14,000 eyewitness statements. And we're looking for a woman who is bleeding. And they also want to find the redhead. They still think she might have some involvement in this because she magically disappeared too. So Nick Cage goes up and he looks at the footage of the fight because he saw something fishy with Lincoln Tyler. And he eventually finds out through the footage that the knockout punch that he received in the ring did not connect. So he purposely fucking threw the fight and Nick Cage wants to find out why. I do love that he calls it the phantom punch. I, it's a true state. It's a true thing that has happened before in boxing, where you're like, "Oh, he didn't actually connect. He missed the punch entirely." But the guy suddenly falls to the ground. Yeah, Nick Cage goes to Lincoln Tyler's hotel room, and we get a couple other little funny moments where Nick Cage sees a lion head mounted on the wall, and he just walks up to him and goes, "It's like okay." We get it, sir. And he again starts singing at one point for some reason to Lincoln Tyler. Give me a C. Give me an H. Give me an AMP. What's that spell? Everybody, champ. He's got a lot of nice moments in this, and it's fun. But um, he sort of yells the truth out of Lincoln Tyler. There's so much yelling in this movie because he's yelling at Tyler, accusing him of throwing the fight and then Lincoln's yelling at him and he's yelling at his lawyer by the way Scott did you catch the the lawyer the the guy who plays Tyler's lawyer no well you wouldn't know him by his face perhaps his voice he's played by Chip Zine oh god and he was the voice of Howard the Duck in the 80s film of the same name. We did a review on it last season and it was incredible. Yeah, I oh would never known that was Howard the Duck. No. I mean, that's got to be great for you. Like, you have a shitty movie that everyone hated, right? And you were the star. But nobody knows you were the star of this movie. Your career suffered no losses from that because no one knows who you are. So you can just go on doing whatever. That's I gotta say, that's a good deal. But um, Tyler eventually confesses that he threw the fight to pay off gambling debts that he had. And um, he didn't know anything about the shooting. He said that the redhead lady is the one that paid him off to take the dive. And we see all of this in a flashback sequence, but it's different than a lot of other flashback sequences. The style of it, I think, was actually pretty cool because they do it multiple times throughout the movie. They literally go in the flashback and the perspective is literally through Lincoln Tyler's eyes. Yeah, it, it's very interesting. So, like, we watch just this little bit we've seen before, but, yeah, the camera's now on the other side. I wonder how many times they had to film, like, certain things, just like, oh, we're going to film it this way this time, then we're going to turn it and film it the other way. Yeah, because in the flashback, we see Nick Cage, but from Lincoln Tyler's perspective. So when Nick Cage earlier was yelling at Lincoln, like, hey, Tyler, hey, man, whoa, like, it's... <laughs> It's the same thing, essentially, but just from Lincoln Tyler's perspective, which is kind of funny. Because he literally watches Nick Cage chase Luis Guzman down the fucking hallway and beat the shit out of him. 
Yeah, so after he finds out about this, there's clearly a conspiracy going on here because there was the shooter, there was the redhead, there was, oh, that we find that out too, the guy that was screaming in, in the stands in the front row, what was he screaming again? Uh, here comes the pain. Yeah, that guy was part of it too, and he had a earbud in his ear, so somebody else was talking to him through a radio. So this is clearly a conspiracy, and Rick, Nick Cage... Goes to Kevin and is like, hey, something fucking screwy is going on here. And Kevin proceeds to tell Rick the real reason behind everything that's happening. And like, if you really wanted to turn your brain off at this part and just be like, oh, government conspiracy, bad guys, good guys, pew, 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 we must solve the mystery. That's fine. That's really all you need to know. I mean, it, basically, Kevin tells Rick that the defense secretary was involved with this big weapons transfer to Israel and that the shooter was a Palestinian terrorist and he wanted to put the kibosh on this weapons transfer and the redhead was clearly meant to distract Kevin Dunn so the assassination could happen. So... After this whole vomit of exposition, Rick and Kevin split up to investigate. And an interesting thing happens in, in this part that I feel like is different from um, any other movie like this. Usually they save like the big twist for the end. Yeah. Um, but no, they just did it right here. Which some people I feel like that have reviewed this movie complain about this part. But I really don't have a problem with it. Okay, well... Let Scott explain what happens after they split up. So they split up and we follow Kevin. And Kevin immediately goes into this, like, private room, down some stairs, and he meets up with the two people who we know are involved. And they're like, so, hey, boss, like, they basically, like, say, like, this is all was Kevin Dunn's plan. I knew even before, like, because the way the camera focused on him, it was like, okay, he's the bad guy. Yeah, you did call it out. You were asking me once he started going down the stairs and all the lights kind of went red. And you were like, is he involved? And I was like dead silent. I'm like, not saying it. Don't look at him. Don't look. I'm not ruining this moment. <laughs> so he, he goes down to the stairs and like, okay, there's a change of plan. You've both been made. We got to change how things go. And they're like, okay, okay, okay. And he shoots them both. Yeah, he just kills them, and apparently Gilbert Powell and his bodyguards kind of come in and, like, hide the bodies, so it also establishes that the Donald Trump guy, John Hurd, is involved in this, because why not? <laughs> because Donald Trump. When you do this type of mystery, the whole point of the mystery, I feel like, is to try and get somebody to be like, oh, let me go back and watch this again, to be like... Did anything get given away beforehand? Right. And because you give away this twist halfway through the movie, I don't feel like people go, I want to go back and watch it because, let's face it, we've spent 10 minutes with Gary Sinise so far in the movie. Yeah, like 10, 15 minutes, probably 20 at most, yeah. So there's not a whole lot to go back to to be like, well, let me watch and see if I can guess that he's the bad guy from the very beginning. I, I understand that feeling about it, but on the other hand, I, I, I do still like it. I don't think it takes away from the story. I think the twist, it kind of reminds me a lot of when Kevin Smith, I bring up Kevin Smith a lot because I'm a big fan of his, but when he was writing the movie Red State, which is kind of an underrated movie of his, if you haven't seen it, feel free to check it out. But he said that when he was writing Red State, he would write it in the way he was 
thinking the story would go and then after 10 pages he would go the opposite direction where he thought he was going and it kind of reminds me of that a little bit where oh this is where the movie should go now we're gonna do this but no you know what instead we're gonna do this and also I think I read something that Brian De Palma stated in response to the kind of not backlash but for lack of a better word backlash to that reveal at that point he kind of made the point that it's not necessarily about the reveal that he's evil necessarily or a bad guy it's more about up to this point this guy has been established as the goody two-shoes you know company man you know like he is the straight-laced government employee he is good boy while nick cage is bad boy right and we've also established the the loyalty and like the deep friendship between them so he kind of made the argument that it's more about the relationship and kind of the betrayal and also the kind of reversal of roles that ends up happening in this movie between them two well yeah no there are positives and negatives right by doing the reveal here yeah I think the positives outweigh the negatives. I definitely see what the Palma is saying, but I do understand other people looking at this and being like, what the fuck? Right. No, that's fair. So after this big reveal, we get both Nick Cage and Kevin looking for Carla Gugino, both for different reasons. You know, Nick is just genuinely trying. I keep saying Nick, but his name is Rick. The character's name is Rick, goddammit. You know who we're talking about. (laughs) Rick is trying to investigate, and Kevin just wants to fucking kill her and get her out of the way. Yeah, this is what I mean, though. Like, here, when they... Because they both find Carla Gugino in separate ways, and they're both after her at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it adds, A, a a sense of urgency for Nick. Mm -hmm. Like, he's, he's stressing. He's like, I gotta get to her quick. Even though he doesn't understand, we as the audience understand that he has to get to her quick but it also adds an air of intensity and like fear when you're watching gary sinise get close to her yeah so for it, sure so for the audience i feel like this works yeah it works until the random room to room tracking shot yeah. from above that they do i don't know why brian de palma did this but it kind of grinds that whole scene to a halt and puts a halt to like all the tension and yeah. like fear that was going on. Why do we have to have a guy like? It's very odd. There's, there's we a- stop the chase scene literally like dead stop, and then we have a tracking shot, like an upper tracking shot, going to different rooms because Kevin's looking for Carla Gugino. Like one room, just a guy is sleeping and the news is on in the background talking about this whole situation. And we're like, okay. But then there's one room they pass where the guy is eating out his girlfriend. And it's like, okay, Brian De Palma, like, re- okay, really? <laughs> like, is that necessary? But eventually it ends and Nicolas Cage gets her and gets her out. He takes her into the stairwell. And the stairwell scene is very interesting with, between Nicolas Cage and Carla Gugino. We find out who she is and that she's not a bad guy, thankfully. <laughs> not everyone in this movie is a bad guy. <laughs> no, she realized that the weapons that were being tested were... She, she's an analyst. She's an analyst, but the weapons being tested, their test results were being doctored. Yeah, so apparently somebody, we eventually find out it's Kevin Dunn and Gilbert Powell, they wanted these missile tests to go through with flying colors so they could proceed forward and they could sell all their weapons to israel blah 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 right and julia goes anonymously to the defense secretary to try to whistleblow you know and uh he's like you gotta give me proof 
And that's what she was doing there at the fight. She tried to disguise herself, bring the proof to the defense secretary. And she's explaining all this to Rick. And in her explanation, she explains that when she was in her disguise about to go down to talk to the defense secretary, she passed by Kevin Dunn talking to the shooter, like just having a, a casual ass conversation. Right. And Nick Cage is like, what? What the fuck? Excuse me? Excuse me. <laughs> That's Kevin, my best friend you're talking about. Kevin Dunn is the most honorable man I fucking know you. You are ridiculous. Nick Cage kind of rides the line in this scene between over the top and like just enough before going over the top. Well, the thing is, it would be like someone coming to you and saying, Scott just fucking went nuts. And like... Scott is the mastermind behind a fucking huge government conspiracy assassination attempt. And uh, he's a bad guy. You know that, right? He, he bad guy. You good guy, but he bad guy. But it, the more he talks to her, he basically tries to discredit her and be like, oh, you don't know what the fuck you saw. Da, da, da. But eventually the more she talks to him and like explains what she saw and what she's been going through with this whole fucking situation he's he accepts it and it's like fuck it's fuck like he's just, he just seems so like mad at like everything he's just mad at life he's like are you fucking kidding me the one good guy in my life and he's evil too fuck. Well, well i don't think the thing is i don't think he accepts it fully but he, I, he doesn't think that she's lying though he, he doesn't he comes to a point where because at first she's like oh you could be wrong you know you might not have seen him he he could have been somebody else and she's like oh yeah because she realizes that he knows kevin dunn and she's like oh fuck this guy's gonna kill me so she's like yeah yeah you know it wasn't him it could have been anybody but he realizes that like she's not lying no. like, and he's like oh fuck and then he yeah. eventually does look up in the stands and see a sky cam like up in the in the rafters and he's like oh i can check the sky cam okay so he goes up to check the sky cam by the way after randomly going outside in like a parking lot and just throwing julia in a goddamn warehouse and hiding her which is kind of annoying because <laughs> like we we don't know what to do with this damsel in distress character she's kind of given us all the information we need by the way we got another flashback thing explaining her whole you know through like her perspective that was cool and everything but then after that whole shtick we're like oh we don't know what to do with you now you've given us everything we need let's just put you in a warehouse outside for now <laughs> throw you in the doghouse bitch but the <laughs> so he goes up to look at the sky cam and he does see kevin dunn talking to the shooter and not as kevin dunn told him the story hitting on the redhead right so kevin of course as villains tend to do he just kind of sneaks up behind Rick as he's discovering this information and he confronts him and offers him a million dollars to just tell him where the girl is and, and be walk done. away. Yeah, which, OK, this is this is a great fucking scene. But Rick asks him, like, why am I here? Why did you ask me to come here? And he's like, oh, I needed you as an alibi. And I knew if something went wrong, I could pay you off and it would be fine. And Rick was like, what the fuck? And Kevin basically tells him, like, listen, don't don't act like you're all fucking offended and shit. You're fucking awful. <laughs> you're an awful person that does awful things all the time. This is no different for you, bro. I'll give you money. Just tell me where the girl is. And then that's the end of that. And it's kind of like a little cheesy how they do it. 
there's a there's a shot of like money on the ground like a single dollar bill just covered in blood for some reason on the floor well the blood would be on his hands well that's that's to sign it's a symbol of the fact that it the, you know even if he didn't physically kill Julia her blood would be on his hands so he looks up at Kevin and says well I never killed anybody you know, I may have done all these horrible things, but I never fucking killed anybody. I, I got morals, man. I got a line <laughs> that I won't cross. It's very thin and wavy, well, but uh, it's a line. <laughs> is, this, is this also where he tells how, like, you'll be a hero for a little bit, but then all your shit will come out. Your wife yeah. will leave you. The press starts looking for dirt on you, and they will. It'll be a mudslide. Forget about your job. Your sweet life in Margate. <laughs> Start thinking about jail. You'll lose it all, my friend. Everything in your whole connected life will fall the hell apart. Is that what you want? It's hilarious because, spoiler alert, that's exactly what happens. And in that way in itself, it's a twist on this kind of movie, this kind of action-y movie where you have the main character who, in a lot of these types of movies, yeah, he's like a wisecracking, like, son of a bitch. But, like, he's also, like, got the heart of gold thing going on. And yeah. Nick Cage has none of that. <laughs> However, in these kind of movies, it all kind of ends with like a perfectly quaffed and tied up bow. The ends justify the means. Right. All that good thing. But what's great about this movie is that as as far as Nick Cage's character is that even at the end, he's still an asshole. And like the whole world just finds out that he's an asshole. And he does at least get to pay his price for that and like pay his debt to society in the end which is kind of a good thing but it like never i feel like action movies never end like that with the fucking hero going to jail that's what happens at the end spoilers but i i just feel like that's great that's the thing that's what i was saying earlier if you're down for like the realism of it of like this guy will get his comeuppance in the end I really enjoyed that. I was like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Because yeah. I mean, you usually it, get that where you get the right. the happy-go-lucky, yeah, good, yay, he's our hero. Right, because not for nothing, that is precisely what would happen in real life. You know, when someone gets 15 minutes of fame, people start digging through your shit and they start looking for the worst things. You become a public figure. But um, Kevin tries to give the sob story like, oh, I just wanted to... Protect the soldiers. I wanted this missile thing to go through so we could fuck shit up for the other side because I've been on ships where men have drowned and it's horrible. And it's like, yeah, that's horrible, but like... Let's steal the scene from The Rock. Yeah, It basically is, yeah, it's essentially that. You know, it's trying to paint Kevin as like... A a, A patriot. A patriot and like a sympathetic villain. But at the same time, he's like totally lost morality obviously and Nicolas Cage is like I'm not telling you where she is and then randomly fucking Kevin somehow enlisted Lincoln Tyler to be his like body man apparently and he's like listen if you don't tell me where the girl is I'm gonna have this big scary boxer beat the shit out of you and he does and he still doesn't tell her where Julia is uh he's getting his ass kicked and Gary Sinise goes, you got nothing, kiddo. Basically, you rolled snake eyes. Ah, ah, he said it. He said it. They just beat the shit out of Nick Cage, right? And then they just leave. And they're like, we'll be back in half an hour. Bye. And they leave. And Nick Cage is like, okay, I'm going to go back to the warehouse and find Julia. And you find out in a couple minutes, Kevin put a tracker on Nick Cage. But as Nick Cage 
would you not find that weird like oh clearly they want me to go find julia and they're gonna follow me yes it is weird and yes as a as a person you should think about that and clearly he didn't know because he does eventually get to the warehouse and doesn't notice that Gary uh, Sinise is, Gary following Sinise is there until the very end until some well-placed lightning right um, oh because remember there's still a storm happening the storm very much happening it's it's a tropical storm no, not that, a hurricane no, now it's a hurricane <laughs> oh fuck okay never mind it's a hurricane sorry guys sorry sorry apologize apologize but yes you're right before you said how Nick Cage should realize this, but I think what they wanted to kind of play off is he took a fucking beating. He's not right in the head at this point. Yeah, he's he got pretty rocked, and he's, like, limping pretty horribly, and he's kind of, like... <laughs> at one point, he just starts grunting Julia's name. Julia. Like, really, like, fucking obnoxiously, and it's like, okay, bro, like, relax. <laughs> like, she's right there. And then, yeah, she, he gets up to the fucking thing, the warehouse wall, and lightning strikes you see gary sinise's shadow and just of of course because this is hollywood kids this is a movie right so the hurricane hits right at that exact moment it knocks out the fucking wall to the warehouse and nick cage uses it as kind of a cover to rush julia outside to the police which somehow rick tipped off the cops to come well, no, i don't know I, I think they were just there randomly yeah i don't really i don't know it wasn't made clear but <laughs> kevin ends up getting cornered by the cops and he's like what would no the lady suspect rick tell him and it's like why would you say rick tell him you just beat the holy shit out of him i think it was like the like la- there's no way he's helping you at this point and then of course rick comes right back at Gary sinise with the fucking killer one-liner for god's sake tell him what we got here ain't no way kevin you got snake eyes <laughs> it's uh, it's very cagerific. So Let's Kevin that way. So Kevin goes to run, realizes the door is locked, puts the gun to his stomach, which by the way has to be the most painful way to shoot yourself. Yeah, <laughs> like and himself. just kills himself right there. Okay. Now, before we get into kind of the epilogue here, th- this is what I wanted to talk about as far as the post-production-y fuckery in this movie. So the original ending to this movie uh, it was there was supposed to be a whole ass like tidal wave that came in of and course. like knocked the whole fucking like arena out and like almost drowned everybody. It, it was a hot mess. But for whatever reason, they ended up cutting it in post. However, there are references to that ending in the film that stayed in the film. Most notably at the very end of the film, Nick Cage and Carla Giugino meet up because he gets the fucking girl at the end even though he's going to jail and they literally spent maybe 10 minutes of screen time together not he, even he locked her in the fucking he locked room. her in a warehouse for a fucking who knows how long she was in there whatever nick cage says something to julia uh, along the lines of like oh i've been having these recurring dreams about drowning in a tunnel and i can't get up for air and that's a reference because that's literally what was, what was supposed to happen in the movie so that happened now that's a fuckery i mean maybe they just ran out of money so they couldn't do the special effects that they wanted to do so they just scrapped it and I, oh, shot something else not only that i just feel like it doesn't make sense well at this point i mean who fucking cares if it makes sense or not no but like it doesn't like add anything to like just have a fucking Random, tidal wave yeah i don't know it is what it is but anywho it doesn't matter the movie's almost over <laughs> 
So yeah, so we get this epilogue. Which essentially, like we said, is the culmination of literally everything Kevin told Nick Cage was going to happen if he played the hero. He was a hero for five minutes and then his whole life fell apart. (laughs) All the dirty cop stuff came out. His wife, his girlfriend both left. He's going to jail for, I think he said a year. And he basically, right before he goes to jail... He meets up with Carla Gugino, who's like, yeah, I testified. Everything's going to be good now. Oh, yeah. That's the thing, too. They have the whole investigation and a trial regarding these missile things. And, like, it's all good now. And they even make a statement because after we established at some point in the movie when the defense secretary actually dies, Gilbert Powell, who's John Hurd, the Donald Trump type guy, he gets on TV and it's like, we're still going to go ahead with the missile project because that's what the defense secretary would have wanted. And at the very end of the movie, Nick Cage and Carla Giugino kiss and he's going away to jail for like 12 to 18 months. And he's like, I'll call you up when I get out. And she's like, okay. And it's like, "Uh, all right, I have no hope for you guys, but okay, you guys enjoy that kiss on the boardwalk and go on your merry way. Well, she she, she basically (laughs) does say, Things are going to change. Things are going to get better. And he's like, this is Atlantic City. Right. Nothing changes. Well, that's the thing with the kind of twist on the normal, you know, all this, usually in action movies like this, all this carnage happens. People get shot and blown up and this and that. And like at the end, it's all tied up in a bow and everything's fine. Everything's happy. Happy ending for everybody. Ha 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 ha. And it's like, no, not in this. (laughs) In this, life goes on and nothing's really going to change and it's kind of established that that's true at the very end when Gilbert Powell essentially he is now kind of still running that missile assignment thing with the weapons and he is rebuilding he you see the construction people rebuilding the arena and at the very end of the credits because at one point Scott was confused because Nick Cage and Carla Giugino leave and we're just holding on the end credits with these construction guys building the arena or rebuilding I should say and at the very end it shows the redhead who was wearing the uh, red sparkly dress and had a very big red ruby ring in the movie who got killed by Gary Sinise earlier her ruby ring is seen embedded in one of the concrete pillars of the new Powell Arena. So it's kind of like, uh, again, another on-the-nose kind of symbolism <laughs> that, you know, the corruption is still very much alive in Atlantic City and just in general in life, which is a really happy ending to end your movie on. But hey, it's it, it's more realistic. But that, again, that's that's but that ending could paint your mood on the rest of the things it could for sure i but again i find that refreshing uh, yes I, because in a lot yeah. of ways this is a mindless kind of action movie but in a lot of ways it's particularly in in the way it ends it's not but yeah that was snake eyes you guys that was not 2021 1998 i find this to be a very interesting befuddling at times in a good way nicholas cage 90s movie and um, it's definitely worth a watch. It's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. No. Objectively, it should be lower rated than I'm going to rate it. I Before rewatching it, I had it as a 3 out of 5, which is probably what it should be. But after rewatching it and after seeing Scott's positive reaction to it, I decided to bump it up to a 3.5 really for no other reason than the fact that it's just entertaining more entertaining than it has a right to be 
I'll say that. Yeah, I agree. I also have it as a three and a half. Is there some weird intricacies that don't work? Yeah, but you know what? As Frankie said, you shut off your brain. You have a good time. You just enjoy the weirdness of it. I definitely see where future movies stole from this movie. But yeah, I think, honestly, this would be a fun movie, I think, that could be remade today. Yeah, I mean, it's not doing anything particularly... I mean, there are certain things that twist the normal tropey action stuff, right? But it's not doing anything particularly insane. Like, what makes it stand out is kind of the the ending, I guess, and kind of like the little twists and turns here and there throughout the, the plot. But even that isn't that insane. What makes it worth watching, I really think, is Nick Cage. And that's that makes sense. I mean, it's Nick Cage. <laughs> Well, yeah, only Nick Cage could sell things like yummy and like roar. And roaring at a fucking, <laughs> roaring, not even just roaring, roaring like seductively and hornily at a fucking mounted lion's head for like no reason. It's so weird, but so very Cage and I it love is. it. But it's also perfect timing for the unbearable weight of massive talent. Yes. I actually am really excited to see that. Same. I just... I just love Nick Cage and I love that I mean I don't think he ever went away but I think people kind of wrote him off for a long time because of just the slew of bad movies that he did you know just the sheer quantity of shit that he produced but I I, you know I don't think it was all his I think he just did it because he wanted to make money yeah well that's exactly why (laughs) and he was he was at the point of fuck it which is like fair you can do that you're Nick fucking Cage so like you do you boo boo and I'm glad he's getting like a legitimate comeback where people are remembering that he is actually a very good actor and can like kill anything if he really wants to exactly so next week we are once again returning to the MCU and it's also going to be our Mother's Day episode, so we're going to have a special guest with us. Can you guess who it is? <laughs> I I can't. I can't possibly guess who our Mother's Day guest will be. <laughs> but until then, this has been Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our avenging, super tastical movie adventure. Yummy. Ew. <laughs> <laughs>